and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 44 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco. Today's show, Wade Longmire is back to talk Titans fiasco and give us Longmire's locks of the week, Bucks, Bears, Thursday Night Preview, and more. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? We'll talk about playoffs. Who the hell is Mel Kite? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep attriculating the ball down the field, boy. I saw it, son. I saw it. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. The NFL told the Tennessee Titans to stand down on September 29th, and the league now knows players worked out together on September 30th, violating those orders, and now there's more. According to Tom Pelissero, the NFL and NFLPA are now looking into multiple unauthorized workouts involving the Tennessee Titans players since the facility closed amidst the COVID-19 outbreak. And not just workouts involving the skill positions per his sources. And two players were confirmed positive today. The review is ongoing. The positive tests keep coming for the Titans. And Deanna Rossini of ESPN tweeted, I've told that the Titans and Bills players were told that there's an option of playing their Sunday game or, or Monday or Tuesday in Nashville. And if that happens, Thursday night's game between the Chiefs and the Bills would be moved to Saturday. And this is all being discussed. And another option that's being discussed is the Titans being forced to forfeit this game, possibly as a penalty to the COVID protocol violations. And today, I am joined once again by my Titans expert here, Wade Longmire. And we're going to reveal Wade Longmire's locks of the week once again. And we're going to preview the Bucks and uh, Bears matchup on Thursday Night Football. But Wade, I, have to had, I had to have you on to br- uh, talk about the latest in this Titans controversy what are your key takeaways to the latest news? And just, just lay them on me here. You know, it, it's a safe space, man. You can just, just lay it on me. Well, Nick, I appreciate you having me, man. And uh, you know it's 2020 when a Titans insider or a Titans specialist is a valuable add to any show. In no other season has there ever been a need to have the Tennessee Titans inside scoop. So I'm glad to bring it, man. And uh, I'm glad it's a safe space. It's been a heck of a week. Um, looking at Twitter, it's just to be a Titans fan in the streets right now, it's hard, right? You go out there and you see personalities like Evan Silva slamming us, saying that we need to be forfeit two games, right? You see fan bases of every other team trying to uh, penalize us, saying that the Titans are this insidious culprit or they're idiots or they're reckless or somewhere in between. Here's what I'll tell you. Um, You know, I've been following the story from local Nashville sources. The high school that Tannehill and the offense worked out at was my high school, Right. And I've been following a lot of that local news. So I'm here to give you that the Nashville flavor of this story. And I'll say to your listeners, too, that, you know, I realize I'm a Titans fan. I've tried to take my blinders off as much as possible in this. You know, you spoke yesterday about the situation and and voting on backups, right, to COVID players. And you can't have a vote because there's inherent bias in the league. Right. I have inherent bias in this situation. I understand that. But even still, Nick, right, this podcast is the Fantasy Law Guy podcast, okay? You went to law school. You can appreciate uh, the process of jurisprudence. Um, as I look at the facts, Nick, I'm not sure how you can penalize my team, 
right? And that's my ultimate takeaway from this. And let's, let, me, let me quickly break that down. You mentioned in the intro of the show, right? September 29th, as we've now seen, you know, different reports come out. The league, and I will quote, what I've seen reported is that the league reached out to the Titans to make clear some of these protocols. We all know what happened on September 30th. You cited multiple instances. What it seems like from local talk is that all the position groups met separately, right? We know that the defensive backs were at Belmont University, a local college. We know that the offense was at Montgomery Bell Academy, my high school. I'm sure the other position groups did something similar in parks or whatever else. And we know that on October 1st, right, that the league handed out this league-wide protocol. Adam Schefter tweeted it out saying this is new from the national source uh, that you can no longer gather outside the facility or that you can explicitly not gather in person outside the facility if you are to be shut down. And we know that Vrabel addressed the media on that day, October 1st, saying that he's told his guys not to meet in public. So here's all I'll say. Um, it, what we are suggesting now as a nation is that the Titans willingly and knowledgeably broke protocol on September 30th. And what I want to say is that I think in part the league created a situation where players were left to their own devices and could make decisions that were at the very worst reckless, right? And at the very least naive. And what I'm saying, Nick, is that you nod your head to that, is that from my understanding and what's been reported, there was no specific protocol in any language that said in the event of a quarantine shutdown, players could not gather in person outside of the facilities. And what I offer in defense of my Titans is, can you, uh, can you agree that it's risky, right, that these guys still in the midst of a pandemic decided to get together, even in small groups, even if they were being socially distanced and wearing masks? Of course, we can agree with that. But if we're going to punish this team, and if we're going to punish them in a franchise-altering way and in a league-altering way, if we're really talking about forfeits, I think you have to sign the rule that we broke. Uh, so when it's reported today that the league reached out to the Titans on September 29th, I want to know what reached out means. Because that, if that's true, what we're saying is that Ryan Tannehill, who by all means, I'm not putting him on a pedestal, but he seems to be a good stand-up guy and a leader. I don't find him to be one who breaks rules. He calls my former headmaster at Montgomery Bell Academy the next day and says, hey, can we use your football fields to meet in broad daylight in front of the public and then allow themselves to be photographed, which looked like from students from the bushes, but that's a separate story. If all that's true, Ryan Tannehill is not who I thought he was right? And the Titans are more reckless and are breaking rules intentionally. I find that hard to believe though, Nick. So before we pass judgment on them, and we could talk about some of the other outcomes, I think by the, the law of the land and what's out there, you have to at least give some slack and say that the league's lack of a clear rule created a circumstance for the Titans to be risky, right? I think that's where I sit on it. So what's your reaction? As, as, am I, do I have the, the two-tone blue sunglasses on too hard? Or how do you hear that? I think it's a little too hard, but I'm mostly with you, actually. Uh, believe it or not, despite you might have been seeing some of my looks here, uh, I was giving you the, a lot of your points are really good, really strong. And I think there's a lot of experts out there in the fantasy community who want the league to really come down on the Titans, like you mentioned, and like send them a message. And they believe that the Titans should have to forfeit this game. Uh, there's been writers for Sports Illustrated who think that the Titans should forfeit their season. And I just think even forfeiting a game, the, the overreaction here is just completely ridiculous. I think that they are falling for the NFL's spin narrative here. The NFL, a bunch of spin doctors, they got some of the best PR in the world. And I think there's a massive blame shifting going on here where the NFL and the media is causing fans to shift the blame from the league 
to the players. And this happens often in the contract negotiations. But the fact that the Titans outbreak started before the facilities were closed, you know, before they told them they couldn't work out, you know, that's the fact. Did they still violate the rules after they were told not to? Yes, they did. But that shouldn't be the focus. They didn't get COVID into the facility because of the private workouts that they were told not to do. The private workouts were a result of COVID getting to the facility. This is not chicken and the egg. COVID hit the facility first. Then the players violated the rules. But even acknowledging that they did break the rules, the NFL put them between a rock and a hard place. Like you mentioned, they said, hey, look, we may schedule a game for you on Sunday against the 4-0 Buffalo Bills, but you can't practice for that game. You can't practice together. So good luck. And I mean, we're all just going to sit here and think that that's just totally normal. I think we can agree that the Titans did. Well, I guess we can't agree. I think that most can agree that the Titans deserve to be penalized. But the, the talks of forfeiting this game, like even talks about forfeiting the Steelers game retroactively in this Bills game, I think that's insane. The, the, the players on the Titans and the Bills, you know, they're not going to receive game checks for a forfeited game per the NFL CBA. Buffalo wasn't even involved in this scenario, so you're going to dock their pay by not playing. I think the Bills players, some of them would rather take the win, of course, the ones who are highly paid. Other ones would probably rather the paycheck, honestly. I mean, this is the professionals here. And, and how can we blame the Titans for screwing up the schedule when the league made this schedule in the height of the pandemic in April? And they didn't allow for off weeks. They didn't make any COVID accommodations, Wade. I mean, that, not one. The NFL schedule looks exactly like it would be or like it would if it was just any other year, any other season. And that's not the player's fault that they NFL failed to prepare. And then, you know, this entire mini CBA negotiation, I talked about in my last podcast, all the protocols, all the rules for COVID. But I know we can't predict everything. I'm not blaming the NFL for not predicting what's going to happen in the pandemic, but that's not enough. I mean, to me, there are some procedures in place that they've done. They've done the social distance in the locker rooms. They've said you can't handshake after the game, stuff like stupid stuff like that. But it's 100% certainty that the NFL is making up a lot of this as they go. Like you said, there's no set number of tests by like a certain day that caused them to cancel the game. There's no procedures for rescheduling. Some games are going to Saturdays, some are Tuesdays, some are Mondays. They're swapping bye weeks. Now we're talking forfeiting games. They don't know. They're just making it up on the fly. And it's not the player's fault that that's happening. And this has nothing to do with the players working out on the side. And I think if they cancel the game, uh, if they cancel the game and they force the Titans to forfeit, I think it's just a PR stunt that accomplishes three things. First, it sends a message to the fans and the media, letting everyone know how serious the league is about COVID all of a sudden. Second, it shifts blame from the NFL's lack of preparation all to one team, your team, specifically some players. And it's saying that the players are at fault, not the NFL, who is really absolutely complicit in this and arguably caused a lot of this. And third, it ideally allows for Tennessee to reset and stop getting positive tests for their next to, for them to be ready for their next game. And I am staunchly against any type of forfeiture here. But I do, and this is where we disagree, I do support the league penalizing the team by way of fines or even maybe docking a draft pick or two uh, because they did violate the rules. Even though the rules were on the fly, they did violate them. That is clear. Uh, but there has never been, I just want to say this before you know, I let you have the floor again, there has never been a forfeit in NFL history. And I'm not talking about since the merger. I'm talking about since 1920s when this league was formed. Not one, not one forfeiture. And I think all the crap, I mean, think about all the crap that has happened since the 1920s. That's a century ago, Wade, like 100 years ago. 
all the crap that's happened, wars, everything, and all the bad things that teams have done to not warrant a forfeiture of any type of championship or game or whatever. And now when the Titans break a practice rule, when COVID's already in the facility, when the NFL is just kind of winging their procedures on the fly, now we're going to have our first forfeit ever? That to me just makes no sense. Completely agree, Nick. And actually, I think we agree more than we don't, right? I'm fine with a fine being handed down. We're fining coaches 100K, right, for not wearing masks on the sidelines. You can argue that the Titans did something risky, right? And I use that term appropriately. I don't think they did something illegal based on the rules that were laid down and clearly communicated at the time. But, Um, well, they did did violate that after – we can both agree that the rule was just impromptu. But they did violate immediately after, right? Like, you, do you, you agree with that, huh? Like, the next day they went out and practiced. Or you don't think there's enough evidence there yet? I'm saying that September 29th communication that the NFL has said the Titans received, that's under investigation, right? I think yeah. that's part of the NFL-NFLPA investigation because they said it was communicated to the Titans on September 29th, but that memo wasn't released until October 1st. So I think the investigation will prove this, right? And I'm open to being wrong here. But what the facts that we have are the NFL saying they communicated it, and then our team gathered for practices on September 30th without clear indication that they're trying to sneak around, yeah. right? My personal opinion is that the league knew that we, we told their coaches, hey, we're going to try to gather in position groups. That came out. The NFL responded appropriately the next day to shut that down, and okay. we never did it again. Yeah. That's how I think. That's the most logical path of how this happened to me. But, you know, I can't prove it. That's just where my head's at right now. It could be. I could see that. And a lot of – the league's just trying to say that it's sent out a memo. That could just be an email to the owner, and maybe the owner – brushed it off. Maybe, uh, maybe it was to Mike Vrabel. He brushed it off or maybe he tried to communicate to the players and they ignored him. We don't know really, like you said, like we don't know if Tannehill organized this. We don't know if Vrabel organized it. We don't know if just some of the defensive backs or whoever, we don't know who's actually at fault. I'm of the thinking that there was a violation though. And I'm of the thinking that it was communicated to players. It was probably discouraged uh and not stern that would be my guess is that Vrabel got the communication just discouraged players from practicing maybe maybe they talked about it, maybe they didn't but there's some I think you need to agree that there's some or there could be at least some type of fault or miss even if it's a miscommunication or lack of communication that the Titans are likely at fault in some capacity now it's not I, the I, extreme that everyone's saying but go ahead I, I do not agree with the decision they made to practice in small groups right okay. on October 1st. I don't agree with that. I absolutely think that's a risky move that puts the other uh, season schedule uh, opponents in jeopardy as it has right with the Steelers and Bills game. But I do think that if you're going to set the precedent, like you're saying, of punishing this team in a dramatic way, this investigation better prove it. Right. We better see that that communication on September 29th was clear and valid. It was told to leadership, leadership communicated to the players. And these guys violated these uh, rules knowingly and willingly. Right. That's all I'm saying with this. It's as the Titans, mea culpa. Right. I realize that I'm one tweet away from somebody saying, hey, look, there is evidence. Right. That Tannehill had this in writing on September 29th. I'm one tweet away from a video surveillance of the internal Titans locker room at St. Thomas Sports Park. of You know, our offensive line walking around without masks when they're explicitly told to do so because of NFL rules. I'm one tweet away from that. But until that tweet comes out, I think we have to leave a little bit of room to say, there's a chance we don't have that evidence. And if we don't have that evidence, how can you set the precedent of forfeitures or of something extreme in, like you're saying, these unprecedented circumstances? I was glad to see, to your point earlier, the rules, or at least the report, that they're considering flexing that Bills-Chiefs game next week to Saturday. 
because I assumed like you that because the NFL did not set up a flexible schedule for this kind of situation, they'd be between a rock and a hard place when it comes to TV commitments and Thursday night football. So I was so glad to see that it's, it doesn't look like they're as inflexible as they may seem if they're considering Bill's Titans Tuesday and uh, Bill's Chiefs later in the week. So I think there's, it's good to see some of that flexibility. There needs to be some more negative tests in the interim. Yeah, I mean, that's – so this last kind of rant you just went on – and it's not a rant, it's just your answer, but I know <laughs> – I know you're, I call it a rant because you're passionate about it, obviously, as a Titans fan. And that's one of the reasons I, I'm just so happy to have you on today. Uh, but that last uh, section the, – the, actually, not the last section, but the part where you're talking about the evidence, that is the part I'm 100% with you on. I'm, I'm against you where I do think that there was a violation. I agree that they haven't proved it yet. They haven't. Uh, I'm, and you say you're one tweet away. I think that that tweet's coming and that's just my prediction. It that's hasn't fair. come yet. I think it's coming, but I do want to mention, uh, you bring up a point that I was definitely going to bring up. Uh, and I'm going to elaborate on it here is that here is what I want listeners to take away from this right here. This is what nobody is talking about, which you've just brought up is that we don't know if the Tennessee Titans are actually at fault because they violated the protocol. Even if we assume they did violate the protocol, let's just assume that they did. But we don't know if they're actually at fault if they, I mean, even if they did, like because they broke the rules. They could have followed all the protocols and this still could have happened. And that's a very key point that nobody in the media is discussing because obviously the media wants to amplify COVID. If you want to find the team, sure, go for it. You know, even dock the team a draft pick or two. Like I said, I think forfeiting the team forfeiting the game is too much. When you punish the Titans and you force them to forfeit, the NFL and the public is somehow bridging this massive gap and totally assuming that the Titans wrongdoing caused or amplified the outbreak, right? Like that's what's happening here. But in reality, we actually have no idea if that's true, Wade. We don't. And if we're being honest, it's probably not true. The NFL players are not in a bubble. They are living their normal lives outside the facility, just among society, just like you and me. We have no idea if the person who caused this outbreak among the Titans didn't break the rules at all. The player who started this or several players who could have contracted the virus, it could have been from anywhere. It could have been from hanging out with friends during the week. It could have been from shopping for groceries. It could have been anything. It could have been going to the doctor's office. We have no idea. And until the NFL can prove that this outbreak was caused, or even until they can prove one player got COVID because of the COVID protocol violation. That should be the standard. They can just prove one player got it because of the violation, or is at least very likely to get it because of the, the league just cannot justify a penalty for forfeiting the game. And spoiler alert, they're not going to be able to prove it because they can't. Yet somehow, somehow, some way, the NFL has the media on their side, as usual, master PR manipulators. It has convinced the mass public, the majority of fans and experts alike, to bridge the gap between the fact that there has been a COVID outbreak and the fact that the Tennessee players broke the rule. They bridged that gap. And just because two events occur doesn't mean that they are connected. And the lawyer in me, you brought that up earlier, is honestly spinning out of control on this because the league hasn't come close to proving causation in this case. There's zero evidence, and I mean zero, that the private, out, the private works out caused the COVID breakout or even added one positive test to the equation. And you may be thinking as a listener, you may be thinking, you know, whatever, that's fine. They still probably violated the rules and we can't prove that the private workouts didn't contribute to the outbreak either. And that's a fair kind of negative uh, argument, um, proving the negative. And that is true. 
We can't prove that it didn't either. But we don't just give penalties for fun. We don't just do that, especially forfeiture. There needs to be evidence that a rule, a broken rule caused harm or the team gains some kind of competitive advantage to having a massive penalty like this. And I'm not advocating that the Titans shouldn't be penalized for private workouts if they did or violating protocol. They should, but it should be a severe, should it be as severe as forfeiting, you know, without any proof that the harm was called, harm was caused? No. If a person, and this is my last bit on this, Wade, if a person gets caught speeding, you know, traffic violation, they get a ticket, they get a fine, they pay it and they move on. But if their speeding causes an accident or contributes to the severity of an accident, then we'll see you in court. Bigger penalties, bigger damages. Now we can start talking about forfeiting your license. But to me, this violation is a speeding ticket and a speed trap that the NFL set because of their lack of foresight. Yes, the Titans were caught. Yes, they deserve to pay. But that's it. Just pay, not forfeit the games. Pay the fine until you can prove that the speeding caused the accident and until you can prove that the speeding may have caused the accident. And until you can prove the private workouts contributed to the spread of COVID, I don't think the punishment fits the crime because the reality is the NFL is not a bubble and COVID very contagious and it's going to spread regardless of whether the teams follow the NFL's procedures, even to a T. And then the last point too, just to build on it, because I know we've got to get to other stuff, but like you mentioned, I think all of us, maybe except the Bills, we should really dread a forfeiture coming into play in this season. It threatens the competitive integrity of the league and this season forever. And I'm not overstating that, I don't think. Imagine if we get to the end of the season, week 17, and the Bills and Titans are the ones competing for AFC home, uh, home field advantage for the playoffs. Imagine if we're competing for the AFC wild card. Both of those situations look strong, given the undefeated records of both clubs right now, right? And you can talk about the trajectories and Josh Allen's killing it, right? And the Titans don't have a defense, what have you. Even still, if we come down that, to that scenario and this forfeiture helps decide teams getting in the playoffs, getting out of the playoffs, having home field advantage, we've now altered the competitive balance, right? We put an asterisk by it. And look, I don't want to be too morbid here, but you mentioned it on the other pod too. You know, these tests are going to keep happening. I, yeah. I hope I hope beyond all hope that the other kind of outbreak the Titans are going through doesn't happen again. But you've seen the Raiders get some tests this week. Obviously, we talked about the Patriots already. The Titans had had some of those. When it's your team, right, I hope you can appreciate the situation Titans and Titans fans are in, in the sense that Nick said, just because even if you say we acted risky, we violated a rule that was out in place, this is still a pandemic unlike one that our society has seen in any of our lifetimes right? And certainly in, in several hundreds of years to uh, layer penalties on clubs because of how this virus is spreading, right? Through a, a locker room and through a, a team, I think is a very dangerous precedent. Yeah, and one that as sports fans we all suffer from. It could have been any team. I mean, that's the thing. I know a lot of these, you know, hardos on Twitter, the, even these experts that I come to respect and really like want to, you know, make an example out of the Titans, but I mean, this was bound, this was an inevitable inevitability, right? Like this was going to happen and it could be your team. And I think a lot of the fans who are trying to play the hard game, you know, punish the Titans. If it happened to their fans, I just think they're being very short-sighted here. They'd be freaking out saying like, oh, this is a bunch of BS basically. But I, I think that we've covered the situation pretty well. I'm a, we're, we're a little different on whether we think they should be penalized, but we, hey, we need some evidence. We do need some evidence. That is not up for debate. And we, we both do agree that uh, a forfeiture is just way too extreme. Uh, speaking of fancy football now, you know, it looks like this game is being moved to Monday and Tuesday or Tuesday at best, honestly. I think it's actually 
the league likes to make you think that forfeiture is the last resort. I think it's, I don't know, I'm calling morbid here. I think it's above a 50-50 shot that this game's going to get, that the Titans are going to be forced to forfeit. I, I just, the way that everything's going right now, I, I don't know. It just makes sense for the league based on past precedent, just to make an example out of this team, even if it doesn't make sense in reality. I mean, I just see it happening. But let's talk about fantasy, though. Um, it looks like this is going to be a Chiefs-Patriots situation where you're going to have a, a game initially postponed to Monday or Tuesday. We don't know if that game's actually going to be played. Sunday's going to roll around, and we're not going to know whether we should start Titans or Bills. And honestly, the Chiefs-Patriots, I think a lot of people took that risk anyway. If there was no backup rule or alternate rule that their commissioner laid out, they took that chance anyway because there was only one or two positive tests. This one, if it gets pushed to Monday or Tuesday, I mean, I mean you're really risking if you play your Bills and Titans without knowing that game's going to be played. And that's a bunch of huge players. You know, I talked about it in my last podcast, Derrick Henry. Johnny Smith, Josh Allen is brought into this, and he's a league MVP, you know, front runner right now. And, you know, we, I talked about what commissioners are doing there. I've made my stance on that clear in my last episode, if you want to check that out. Um, but Wade, how is your league, um, how is your league handling this? So uh, listening to your pod yesterday, right, we took the approach, we did vote on it, right? There's okay. inherent bias in that we decided to treat it as injuries right i think that was the majority of our, our team right we wanted what was to the vote uh if you don't mind me asking what was the final standings six to three okay. in a 10 league and so we had one guy who had better things to do apparently but yeah. folks wanted to treat this as a game time injury right i think the argument against was that we know how injuries work we have a lot of history with injuries in the nfl we know that players coming back from injury even if they play might be diminished in their output all right so this isn't an injury this is either Full teams go and they're fully healthy or they're kept on the, the sidelines for a week and, and they play later in the season. So uh, that's how we did it. I know that a lot of folks are doing the backup situation. So I think, think there's a lot of a handle. We took the hard line approach. Do you think that your team, I mean, do you think that the people in your league would change knowing that this wasn't a one-off? I, I, we talked about it. Uh, you know, the argument that put forth was that this was not going to be the only time this happens. Okay. Right. So we have the IR spots, which, you know, it seems Good. thankfully like we're on sleeper. I know different apps are doing this differently, but they get the COVID tag on sleeper if the game gets uh, canceled or postponed ahead of time. So that's how we're addressing it and saying if we try it, we're never going to fix it to be 100 percent good in the, in the world of the pandemic. So if we can't make it 100 percent and if we're relying on like the commissioner, which I am managing a spreadsheet of people's backups, then we've done too much. I think that's where the group landed. And I'm trying, I'm saying that through grit teeth. I, I disagree. And I'm on the other side. I'm in the, I was about to group. ask. Yeah. So that's where I am. Um, when it comes to this Monday or Tuesday game, Nick, I wouldn't start any Titans. And, and the reason for that is that I think the team we field, if we're allowed to field one is going to look way different, right? We got almost 20 players right now on this COVID list. Our defense is starting guys I've never heard of, right? <laughs> and if I don't know them, then none of your listeners are going to know them either. Cause that interior D line is going to be cheese. So I think it's really more about the bills. If they get to play in this matchup, those bills, offensive players are going to be in a prime situation. And I think it merits more consideration, but like, I would not be starting AJ Brown, especially off of injury. Corey's on the COVID list. John, who's a wild card. I don't know how much Derek's going to be able to do in this game. Cause the, I think the script's going to get away from us. Um, Tannehill maybe, but I don't think people are, are streaming, you know, Tannehill, especially in a week where he plays late. So that's, I think it's more about the Bills than the Titans when you think about this one. Yeah, I mean, I want to address, you know, whether for people who didn't get to check out last week's episode, I'm glad you're on the other side of the uh, commissioner debate because a lot of commissioners having to make that call. And I think as a commissioner, 
most commissioners, in my opinion, who take fantasy football really seriously want to be siding on the side that promotes competitive balance and fairness. Um, and I'm glad that you fall on that side. Although if you didn't, you know, it's okay. A lot, I, I, half of my leagues are just saying, play on, let it ride. Like it's part of the game. And a bunch of experts are doing that as well saying, listen, we knew what we signed up for, et cetera. I just think ultimately, you know, in summary that this is a very unprecedented season. And I think that, you know, I hate, I just, despite my abhorrence of make changing rules in the year, you know, this saying that this year is like any other year, just that argument just falls on deaf ears. It's just ignorant to the fact that this is truly a unique year. Like look at everything we've talked about so far. Um, I mean, we're talking about putting games on Saturdays, Tuesdays, the NFL doesn't have their crap together. So I'm, I'm okay with the backup alternate rule. I just think that it needs to be subject to parameters. You need to, and you've done the right thing by, you know, even though I'm against the vote, you've done the right thing by letting everybody have input. And I did that. I made the call myself in my leagues, but I sent out the message and say, look, if you, I may be missing something here. So if you have any like tweaks to my rules or like, you know, having to declare the person or what position it has to be, like when you have to declare, if you have any tweaks to my rules, you let me know but it's just good to be uh, communicated with your league there. I'm in agreement with you about the Titans and Bills. I don't think we can possibly, I mean, sitting Josh Allen and Derrick Henry just sucks, but, uh, but this game is less likely to be played than that Chiefs and Patriots game. You have to go into this, like we talked about last week uh, in, in our show together, Wade, where we talked about, you know, you got to, you can hope for the best, but you need to prepare for the worst. And I think people, I think fantasy managers need to be preparing right now, seeing what their roster looks like, without those guys. And trust me, it gets pretty brutal. I mean, I have Josh Allen in three leagues, only, almost 50% exposure. There's one league in a super flex. I'm starting Joe Flacco this week because he was the only active quarterback in free agency in my super flex league. It's a 14 teamer. And look, it sucks going down from Josh Allen, Joe Flacco, but I got to take some points, man. I can't be risking the zeros there. Hopefully we get more information of, from that game, but we're not going to go any further on it until we do because we don't want to waste, want to waste too much airtime on that. But we, I do want to have listeners note that they should be preparing to play that game without their Titans and Bills. It looks like all other games will be a go so far, unless we get some crazy outbreaks. Uh, Wade, let's get to the Longmire locks of the week. Tell us how you did last week, and let's hear them for this week. Listen, I will always come to the people with full honesty and transparency, right? These are locks, but there are locksmiths out there. There are ways that you can have a skeleton key. There's ways you can take a pair of pliers and break a lock. And that's what happened in Green Bay on Monday night. Okay, we had Atlanta plus 7.5 against Green Bay. If you were watching that game, that bet was set up to win. The Falcons get the ball back with about four minutes and 54 seconds. They drive the length of the field it becomes fourth and 10 on wet nick the 30 25 calvin ridley has the ball hit his hands for what would have been his only catch of the night somehow in the end zone right matt ryan threw it a little bit late the safety was able to work his way over we lose that bet but i was i mean that's how it was supposed to happen backdoor cover calvin ridley the play was there and it fell apart so nick i lost that one um when you look at the other ones, we had the Giants over playing the Rams. That game defied history. If you watched it, you know that it was the lowest yardage total in any half of this NFL season, and especially in one we talked about last week where the overs continue to hit. I'll, I'll take the L on that one. I was straight up wrong. But 
Falcons should have hit. Bills was easy money. We're seven and five on the year, Nick, picking three games a week. Now, what you should have done last week is added your savvy pick of the Saints, um, who easily took care of business in Detroit. And, you know, no blood, no harm, no foul. And we're on to week five. So that yeah. was the week interview. Yeah, my pick was looking a little uh, scary at first. I was about to take it back on air uh because when i saw the saints injury report it was not pretty and I, when i made that call i did not think that Lattimore and janoris jenkins were going to be out for that game uh, i knew i knew pete and cook and michael thomas would but man missing our two corners it had me a little worried there yeah i you did mention the backdoor cover on the falcons packers game obviously the rams yeah i don't know what to say about that game i was pretty disappointed in the rams output as well they've just been so uh conservative and run oriented this year it's been pretty annoying and then the other game you just talked about uh was the one you hit on easily covering over the oh yeah that was a great call the bills over the uh raiders that call was really never in jeopardy that was the one i agreed with you on air like yeah that looks awesome so let's talk about your picks this week uh three picks one at a time let's hear the first one three locks of the week nick so we're going to take a fave, we're going to take a dog, and we're going to take an uh, over-under, just like always, right? So let's first take a dog. I think this is a bad line, but I got Cleveland Browns plus 1.5 hosting the Indianapolis Colts. This is a bet that the Browns are real, Nick, right? We saw a little bit of it last week. They could hang with the Cowboys and score points. They can rush the passer. They can run the ball. It's a winning formula. I don't think the Colts have anything over and beyond what's going well for them right now. I like Miles Garrett to disrupt Phillip Rivers. I like Kareem Hunt to take over RB1 duties, uh, even with Durnest uh, working in. And I, I like the Browns to keep rolling. This is a bet that the Browns are real. What do you think? I like it. And I agree. I'm, I'm also going with the Browns here. And – uh, I want to mention that Darius Leonard is likely not going to play in this game, uh, which stinks for me in my IDP leagues, but that's another issue. Leonard, in one of his backups, uh, Anthony Walker is his initial backup, or he starts alongside him, I should say. But uh, Bobby Okariki is, uh, is, and he was the pick that, if you were watching the NFL draft, that Pat uh, McAfee announced and kind of made a joke about. But anyway, he's Darius Leonard's backup. He is also likely to be out for this game. And it hasn't been ruled officially yet, but uh, the Colts could be very thin at linebacker here. And being thin at linebacker against the Browns running game with that offensive line is a scary thought. We haven't seen Phillip Rivers tested yet, Wade. We just really haven't. And he hasn't been posting. He's been very efficient. You know, we, the one time we really saw him air it out was against the Jags. And week one, we, everybody airs it out against the Jags. Since then, the Colts have rode their defense the whole time. Phillip Rivers is throwing for like 150 yards a game. And they've lost Paris Campbell. And they've lost Michael Pittman. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on this bet. What's your next one? Well, the other last thought on the Browns, yeah. too, right, is that Odell finally came alive. So we had the Odell revival game. And then the Colts somehow haven't got Jonathan Taylor truly firing on all cylinders. I'm, I'm sure you've talked about that on other pods, too. Right. But we, since, uh, you know, Marlon Mack went down, it hasn't been the eruption that we expected. So I don't think it's happening in Cleveland in the dog pound. Next pick. This, we're coming after your super flex, okay? I think this is a broken line. The Cardinals are favored by 7.5 points when they travel to MetLife to take on the hapless New York Jets. 
I don't see how the Jets hang in this one, right? I think the only uh, thing going for them is that this turf just grabs opposing teams and causes injuries, a la the 49ers, a la the other teams that have come in there. But Kyler Murray is coming off a disappointing game, a disappointing loss to Carolina. I think this is a game where he and Hopkins try to set the tone early. They put up a lot of points. I like Kenyon Drake to finally emerge in this game. I, I think they run away with it. I'd take this line a little bit higher than it is. So a bigger line, but Flacco scoring points – um, I, I just don't like it. So Arizona minus 7.5. The Cardinals were the most heavily bet team of any game all season last week against the Panthers. It was like 91% of the public of the bets from the public came into the Cardinals. And of course they stunk. I'm, I'm agreeing with you here. I agree with the Kenyon Drake part. Cliff Kingsbury talked about this. Boy, I'm really starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. <laughs> week that they have to get Kenyon Drake going. I think the Jets are a nice get-right spot there. I think the Cardinals are coming off a little disappointment there, and they're going to be fired up. Another reason they disappointed against the Panthers is they were missing Buda Baker. And Buda Baker is one of the elite safeties or slash nickelbacks in this league, and he is uh, going to play this week. So that, that's big as, as well. Devin Kennard, pass rusher opposite Chandler Jones, also did not play last week. He's questionable for this game, so he may play. He may return as well. So the Cardinals may be getting some ammunition back. But, yeah, I, I'm with you on the Cardinals. And another uh, last point to make here, Wade, I, uh, you said that you have this at 7.5 or minus 7.5 for the Cardinals. Uh, on the sports books that I was looking at, or the consensus at least, it's only minus 7. That's a big difference, obviously, because of the touchdown. Pass the touchdown is huge. But I'm with you either way, actually, on the Cardinals. So two for two on agreeances here so far. What's your third? Let's go to Atlanta again, okay? We're, we're getting back on the Falcons train. We're taking the over on Carolina versus the Falcons in the Dome, right? I saw your eyes get scared for a second when you thought we were going to bet the Falcons to cover against the Panthers. No, no. I am betting. I'm betting that. I'm, okay. I'm bet I am. Well, the over-under is 54, Nick, right? So we just need seven touchdowns and a few field goals. We've talked about the historic overs in this season. I think it's high-flying offense. I think the Falcons get back on track, and the Panthers with Teddy can keep up with them. Yeah, the, Teddy has showed improvement throughout the year. Uh, like each game, it seems like he gets a little better and better. To the last game, you know, culminated in his best uh, output of the season. He's like heating up, it seems, in this offense. And that's important because it's not just a normal person heating up. This is T Teddy Bridgewater, new team, new offensive – well, not new – yeah, new offensive coordinator, even though he had familiarity with Brady from the Saints. But, yep. you know, new offense with Matt Rule – new receivers, new everything in a COVID-shortened offseason. So the fact that he started slow just makes total sense. And now he's heating up, which is good with the familiarity of the offense. We know what Joe Brady can do from LSU. And these defenses, right, like you – I mean, that's why you're going the over here. These defenses, they are just so, so bad – I mean, I bet you thought once Devontae Adams got ruled out that that, that uh, was looking pretty good for you uh, for your last bet for the Falcons. But the Packers, nevertheless, Aaron Rodgers, you know, Robert Tonyan, four touchdowns for Rodgers. Basically, my point with this isn't to just rub dirt on you, Wade. It's really just to remind you that, that it doesn't matter who's out against the Falcons. Anyone can move the ball. This may be uh, DJ Moore's get right spot, right? Like this may be his week, finally. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I like it. Are uh, you adding one this week, taking the Saints again or anything? 
Uh, let's see. No, I'm not too – I actually think that uh, Vegas did a good job on the Saints line. It's a minus 7.5 for the Saints. I think that's about right. I do think the Saints will win the game, but I'm not predicting any sort of blowout. I don't – you know, I'm going to wait for the injury report before I make a, a Saints call here. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at it right now. I think the one – I think the one bet – I actually do like the Falcons in this game, like to cover, honestly. I think the Falcons are going to get their first win of the year. I think tonight's game looks – and this is going to be a good segue into tonight. The Bucks are very injured, right? But they are only favored by three in this game. I know it's in Chicago. But uh, to me, I just don't think the Bears have the offensive firepower. Maybe Nick Foles has a really good game. But I think the Bucks' defense is pretty similar to the Colts. And we could see a, a Colts-like performance. But what do you think about tonight's game in terms of the line? Yeah, I saw it at four. So the fact that it's coming okay. down, um, I think, speaks to what you're saying. People are expecting this to be kind of a dirty, both yeah. teams trying to run the ball, both teams missing some weapons. Or if you're the Bears, they have very few weapons. Right. Uh, even though, to the Bears' credit, Foles and Robinson, I'm sure, won a lot of fantasy matchups with their last drive in the fourth quarter last year. So it's, maybe they have something to build on if you're being optimistic. But, no, I, I like this to be a game about defense. Both defenses have played solid, right? I like this again to be a game where both teams try to establish the run a little bit. And, ultimately, I think Brady, uh, you know, if it's Scotty Miller and Gronk, if those are his top two weapons built against, and if Foles is trying to hit Robinson, I think you see a couple of shots those ways. I do like the Bucks to win it, too, right? I, I'd actually be surprised to see the Bears do it. But it, the Bears could come out and play more inspired football um, and I don't think people will be surprised. We just haven't seen it from Matt Nagy's group yet. Yeah, it's a proud organization. And, you know, I, it's, obviously they're at home and the Bucks just being just so – if the Bucks weren't injured, I don't think this line would be going down at all. In fact, yeah. I think this line would be closer to like Tampa Bay by six or seven. Uh, but with Mike Evans questionable – actually, he's a game-time decision. Sakati Miller is questionable. Obviously, Chris Godwin out, Leonard Fournette out. And we'll transition to more fancy here. I owe you Howard out for the season. Uh, so, look, you're talking about – this is a low over-under. Uh, and it's a situation, like you said, it's probably going to be a defensive run-oriented game. Uh, Tom Brady heating up. Wade right six touchdowns and 650 passing yards in his last two weeks. And he, like Ridgewater, is looking a lot more comfortable in his offense, which is great because this is a new offense for him. Same logic applies there. The Bears – have played strong pass defense this year. And, and obviously, Tom Brady's supporting cast is dinged up, dinged up. What are your thoughts on Tom Brady in this game? I don't like it. I think he's a little bit game script dependent this year, right? You want him playing from behind. You want him playing against poor defenses. I don't think that's tonight at all, right? I think they might get ahead, but I think it's a strong defense. So I don't see a game where he has to throw for five touchdowns like he did against the Chargers. I don't see a game where he has – I don't think Mike Evans is going to play. I think Scotty Miller will play. Right. So I see him trying to move the sticks, keep them in front of the chains. Um, and I see them trying to establish the run. I was interested to see uh, my guy, Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, my guy because of Vanderbilt University, get into the end zone last week. I think Ronald Jones obviously is in line for a good role tonight. Um, so I like the books to control it, uh, but I don't love the points. I wouldn't take the over on this. I wouldn't start Tom Brady. Surely I can find a better option on a streaming. Or yeah. I mean, let's see. Uh, Tom Brady. There's, there's Teddy Bridgewater against. I would do that. I'd do him. He's probably in free agency. There's Gardner Minshew who plays the Texans this week. And that could be a, a sneaky shootout there. 
But, yeah, I think Brady's more of a quarterback, too, this week. I agree. Ronald Jones, you just talked about it. Without Leonard Fournette, without LaShawn McCoy, Ronald Jones, 20 carries last week, 111 rushing yards. He saw a whopping nine targets in that game, but only six catches for 17 yards. But that's seven PPR points right there. Three drops. And Brady was a little pissed off at Ronald Jones at one point in this game. And that's when Keyshawn Vaughn started playing – uh, more passing downs in the second half of the game. He actually caught a touchdown. We could see Keyshawn Vaughn play on passing downs tonight. But I think if you have Ronald Jones, despite the tough matchup, there's not a lot of running backs getting this type of volume. And, and Ronald Jones, to me, is just like, right when you start to trust him, you know he's going to let you down. But to me, he actually is a pretty solid RB2 in this game. And, you know, if you have a better option, you can go with it. But, you know, I don't hate starting Ronald Jones this and what's funny is that you could take that exact sound clip that you just said and apply it to David Montgomery on the other side of the ball. Right. Both guys are in a situation where their volume is going to be there, right? If, if they can get ahead, surely you're going to get an RP2 performance out of them. But you're not excited or thrilled to put either of these guys in your lineups tonight. I think that I would rather play Jones than Montgomery. That's fair. Because uh, it's the, the winning team. It, true. And the, and the Bucks' defense has just been so stout against running backs. They're averaging two point four, three yards per carry against. And what I do like about Montgomery is Tariq Cohen. We saw him play the high snap counts last week. We saw uh, him take over a little bit of Tariq Cohen's receiving role last week. He caught three catches for 30 yards. However, and that might be useful in this game, but to me, this feels like even if Montgomery plays well, it's going to be like a 75 total yards, like maybe four catches, like not going to kill you, but not going to really, you know, the upside is very limited against this Bucks defense, which really nobody has run well against, uh, you know, we'll get to Chicago in a second, but wrapping up for Tampa Bay, Mike Evans, you mentioned it. You don't think he's going to play. If you have Mike Evans on your team and let's say he is ruled active. Okay. Are you comfortable playing him uh, with this uh, twisted or sprained ankle? I mean, I would have said no, but looking at that Chargers game, right? He, he came out there walking wounded. It looked like he was going to be a dud of a start. And then obviously he pops off the big plays that he does. He's Brady's look in the end zone. It seems like first and second, especially with Godwin out. So if he's active, if I'm the Mike Evans owner, I surely I don't have a better option than him sitting on my bench, especially in a three wide receiver league. So I probably do get him in. If, if it says he's a game time decision he's in, I get him in and I temper expectations. Um, so maybe then I hope that he's out so that I don't have to have the headache or I don't have to have the regret. That's honestly how I feel like when one of my players is hurt and they're playing on a short week with the ankle and the ankle is something that we've seen. I'm not a doctor or anything, but we've seen, or we've heard so many times, time and time again, that on these ankle injuries, when you twist it or sprain it in a game, oftentimes you can play through it a little before like the swelling starts to really happen and on this short week, yeah, it's not, I'm not surprised it's a game-time decision. I would lean towards no, but the argument in favor of it, uh, or one that you didn't mention, I would say, is that uh, you know Chris Godwin being out, obviously. Scotty Miller is likely going to play, if I had to guess, but he is also limited. No Justin Watson, their third receiver. No O.J. Howard. And no LaShawn McCoy or, or Leonard Fournette, who can play a role in the receiving game. So, I mean, honestly, it's hard to bench Mike Evans, yeah. even knowing that he could bow out at any moment. Uh, but he didn't last week, so I don't know. It's, it's just a really tough call. I'd rather him sit too. Scotty Miller, seven targets, five catches, 83 yards with score last week. Most of it came in the fourth quarter. He's questionable. I do think he's going to play, and I like Scotty Miller this week. I really do because I think Mike Evans is probably a little more hurt than he's leading on, and he might not play. If he doesn't play, I would start – 
Miller in my flex or receiver three, don't start him in your flex because then you ruin your flexibility later on in the week. But as a receiver three or as a flex, I would start Miller this week, even if Evans was ruled active. If he's not, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to be a strong play. I think his upside is limited in a, a low scoring game, of course, but I don't see how he wouldn't have, you know, seven catches, 80 something yards. That's 15 PPR points right there. He might score. I like with all the injuries to the Bucks passing game, I like Scotty Miller. He could be the focal point of the passing offense tonight. Fire him up. I'm the same boat there. Whether Mike Evans is playing or not, and there's obviously some benefits to if Mike Evans plays, takes a little bit of the attention of the defense, and Scotty builds on that chemistry he's shown with Brady in the young season. Fire up your Scotty Miller. I'd want him in my lineup. Yeah, I didn't even mention the chemistry. They do seem to have a little bit of a connection there. Uh, speaking of connections, Rob Gronkowski, you know, O.J. Howard out for the year. Um, I bring it up because a lot of people didn't cut him despite my advice numerous times on this podcast. Uh, but Cameron Brady's still there. To me, Gronk is, you know, I'm not going to totally disrespect the guy. I think now that Howard is out and it's more of a two-way timeshare, I think Gronk is worth a stash, but I, I can't justify starting him here, even without, even with the injuries we just talked about. I think that Gronk has, you know, just because of the connection, just because of the lack of weapons, we don't know how long Godwin's out. We don't know what's going to happen with Mike Evans. I think he's worth adding in a 12-team league if you want a backup tight end or you're just, you just want to punt the position. But I can't justify starting him, you know, even if he is going to be more of a focal point. All right, Nick. So you got Gronk tonight against the Bears, Ebron against the Eagles on Sunday, and Greg Olson Sunday night versus the Vikings. How do you I would rank? prefer Olson and Ebron, honestly. And I'm if you're, <laughs> yeah, and if you're, um, you know, thinking about Gronk, I think a lot of the people may have somebody like I don't know Evan Ingram. For example, who's really disappointed. Tyler Higby, uh, last two games, has done nothing. Uh, I would play both of those guys over Robin Gronkowski, even a little bit lower, like you've just said. Uh, for the Bears side, we're not going to waste our time talking about Nick Foles. Uh, the, we talked about Montgomery already. Let's shift to Jimmy Graham here. Similar situation. I'd rather start Evan Ingram than Jimmy Graham. Hayden Hurst than Jimmy Graham. Uh, but I think I'd rather go with Graham. I don't know about Graham. I'd probably rather Graham over Gronk. I know I'm going to take that back. I'm going to go Gronk over Graham in this game. Graham is just so, you know, he's the ultimate touchdown or bust, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I can predict his, you know, his fade touchdown weeks. And that's one of the reasons that Montgomery's upside is so limited because whenever the bears gets inside the five, I mean, Montgomery has to score from longer than five yards out because when they get inside the five, they're throwing the fade to Jimmy Graham. And this year he's coming down with it. So I, I don't know. To me, it's, I think I'd rather play Gronk than Graham, but that's really a toss-up to me. They're both – it's the touchdown dart, like you said. Like, they're not a lock of the week. We're not taking the touchdown prop on either of those guys because you're going to feel sweaty the whole time you take that bet. So, I don't know. If you can predict the future, fine. But I think Gronk and Jimmy are the same kind of play tonight. It's You know, yeah. they might get a look in a red zone situation. If it hits, good for you. But you're going to feel like you miss an opportunity when they don't get in the end zone and they put up 40 yards. I think the Bucks will try to get Gronk involved. Now, whether that's going to be effective or not, you know, that's to be determined. And I doubt it is. But I do think that the Bucks on national TV are going to make a – with all the injuries, of course. They wouldn't just do it because they're on national TV. But that's a factor, I think. And with all the injuries, of course, I think the Bucks are – I wouldn't be surprised if he sees like six targets in this game. 
but that literally could be 27 scoreless yards. I mean, we, we just don't know. So uh, Allen Robinson, the last relevant player here, because I don't think that the Chicago receivers, whether it's Anthony Miller or Darnell Mooney, are worth talking about yet. Maybe Mooney later on, but right now just Allen Robinson. Two terrible games, followed by two good games, albeit with last week's game, like you said, in garbage time mostly. This is another tough matchup, just like the Colts was. But we may, you can make the argument that we'll get garbage time once again. And he'll obviously be the focal point of the passing game. I think that if you have Allen Robinson, it's similar to Mike Evans. You probably have to play him. But for me personally, I would rather start like a Scary Terry, a DJ Shark, the Rams receivers, even both Panthers receivers, even DJ Moore this week over probably Mike Evans and Allen Robinson. Keenan Allen for sure. Um, what's your stance? I, I, that sounds like I'm a little low when I'm talking about Allen Robinson. I just don't know if this is going to, we've seen what it can look like in the first two weeks. I don't know if last week is going to be able to carry over because a lot of it, like you said, was on the final drive of the game, but I love A-Rob's top talent. What do you think? Well, small point along the way. I do like how you're referring almost to Robbie Anderson subtly as the wide receiver one in Carolina. I'm oh, on that we, I mean, I'm on that train. We can talk about it more. And, you know, we're in the we Panthers, have four but... weeks of evidence there. <laughs> I don't know why we would be denying it at this point. I love and, it. And, but, but you're also talking to a, a DJ Moore fader here. So I was Fair. easy. I was very, it's, it's hard for people who draft DJ Moore to be like, oh, no, this, this has happened. Oh, he caught a touchdown, but it was overturned. It's hard for them to, like, you know, take that in and, and really believe it. But for me, I'm like giving up on DJ Moore. Like by week two, I'm like, oh, told you so. You know, like, I don't know. I got the inherent bias in there, but go ahead. You're a DJ Moore fader and I'm a Robbie Anderson owner. So we can do a whole podcast on that situation. Yeah. I'm sure everybody could guess how we feel. So that's, that that's great. But I faded DJ Moore and didn't like, I didn't like double down on that. I, di- I didn't, for some reason, I was just like, no, DJ Moore is going to be not that great because they're going to spread the ball around new offense. Teddy Bridgewater conservative. But I didn't say, oh, they're going to spread the ball around. So maybe I should draft Robbie Anderson more. I didn't, I didn't go that far in my brain for some reason. I don't think many did. But getting back to Chicago, I, yeah, I'd be impressed if you have a better option than Allen Robinson, right? I believe in the talent, like you said. You know, a lot of industry experts, Matt Harmon does his reception perception. Um, I think Allen Robinson grades just as high as anybody. I'd love yeah, to see top five. Top five. I'd love to see that guy unlocked right? Just like Terry McLaurin and some of these other guys with a better quarterback. Foles has had his moments. I don't see any reason to expect a ceiling game from Allen Robinson tonight, but with him, there's always the possibility that it happens. And it's always the possibility that they get in garbage time like last week and he becomes ultra relevant. So I like the people you mentioned, right? You mentioned Keenan Allen, you mentioned Terry McLaurin, you mentioned the Rams receivers. Agree. I I think those are same tier and I'd lean that, but if you have Allen Robinson, you likely spend a, a, a top, four round pick on him right and if you're in a two wide receiver league I'll buy that you might have a good replacement but if you're starting three wide receivers I don't see how you can leave him out so I'm starting him if I have him yeah it's just one of those things where you have to temper expectations all along in this game whether it's Brady Mike Evans if he plays uh Allen Robinson definitely Montgomery Ronald Jones I mean honestly the my favorite plays tonight it sounds like so terrible to say like Scotty Miller and Ronald Jones, like I feel like are the ones I'm most confident in, which is just, I mean, Allen Robbins is just so talented and I just hate saying that, but I don't know. It could be a pretty ugly game, but we will see uh, tonight. I think, I don't know. You got to score prediction. Hey, yeah. even if it's low fantasy relevance football, it's football. And I know we're all thankful to have it. <laughs> yeah, I know the Thursday night games have been kind of like uh, very injury riddled and just kind of boring, but hey, 
we were we were begging for this a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, it's it's nice it's it's nice to have it. Uh, although you know, I gotta say, uh, a lot of people will be surprised, and I think you will be shocked, Wade. Did you know that I am very anti Thursday night football, like from a concept conceptual standpoint? I did not. I am. I I actually can't stand Thursday night football. I actually I think if I were commissioner of the NFL. It would, one of the first things I would do is abolish Thursday night football. And I get why they do it. It's more football, more eyes on the screen, more money. Obviously, I get why they do it. Uh, but I think there's a lot to the, um, the player safety aspect of it. And I think that players just should not be playing on a limited week. I think it messes with the schedule. There's, just, there's a lot of other reasons. I'm not going to bore everyone with my reasoning. But I just wanted to put on the record that I am very anti Thursday night football, which I think a lot of people would be surprised about knowing how obsessed I am with fantasy football and Thursday. I'd rather all the games just be on Sunday and I'd rather than actually do a, a double header on Monday night and take that Thursday night game and put it there here, rather here. than have Thursday night football, give the extra preparation there. I just think it's too much to ask for. I'm surprised the players association ever agreed to it. Honestly. You're here. That's, I think, you know, the exposure element is another way they've sold that, right? Getting some teams like you had Jaguars, Titans play on Thursday night for what, five seasons in a row, but the product is diminished. Like you said, it's a short week of practice. You're not putting primetime matchups there, even though Bill's Chiefs next week be electric. Um, so I agree with you. And I think the double Monday night header, you know, that's a great way to start a week every week. When we had the Chiefs Patriots coming on and you knew that you had the Falcons Packers look forward to later, I'd much rather see that as a fan. So I can get on board with that. Yeah, even though both of those games were kind of a snooze fest there. Yeah, that's we mentioned the Giants-Rams having the lowest yardage total in the first half, right? And they were almost the game that went the longest without scoring a touchdown until uh, Mahomes said, hold my beer on Monday night. We're not going to score something until the third quarter somehow. So, uh, yeah, it was yeah. a weird start to those games. I want to mention another – you talked about Mahomes just now. I want to mention – you asked me about another bet that I like this week. And I did mention the, the I like the Bucks tonight to cover three, whatever. But uh, I'm looking at the bets right now. Uh, one that kind of is kind of catching my eye here is the Raiders and Chiefs. And I think that's a lot of points to give to the Chiefs. It's, it's uh, the Chiefs are favored by 12.5 in that game. And I think it's a lot. I don't know if you disagree, but I think this Kansas City offense is not quite there yet. And Patrick Mahomes, from a game-watching standpoint, I don't think he was good in the game. And I'm not even saying, like, as in, like, oh, yeah, he wasn't elite like he normally is. I'm saying that Patrick Mahomes was not a good quarterback in that game. And I know the Patriots, great scheme, Bill Belichick, but they dropped interceptions. They had that fumble um, that could have been, obvious, or should have been a fumble loss when they blew the whistle dead there. I think the Patriots would have won this game easily easily weighed if Cam Newton played. And that's surprising to me because going into the game, I probably would have picked the Chiefs. But the way that the game turned out, I think the Patriots easily would have won with Cam Newton with the way Kansas City couldn't really stop the running game. And uh, I don't know. I don't think the Chiefs are all there yet. And to me, the Raiders are a team that could have, you know, even if they don't, I'm not saying they'll win outright, but they could. this could be a backdoor situation for sure. Hard to argue, right? And Mahomes threw some ducks. Um, I thought the stat was amazing that they threw out during the broadcast, which is that Mahomes has been held without a touchdown only three times in his career in the first half, all three against Bill and the Patriots. 
That's a wild stat. And, so, and you know what that means, though? That means that basically Andy Reid is the second best coach in the league. And yeah. I love stats that just kind of verify what we already know. Like we know Bill Belichick's the best coach in the league, and we know Andy Reid's the second best coach in the league. So the fact that Andy Reid can score, like can games, because the first, I don't want to say the first quarter, but the first two drives of every game, pretty much for every team, are scripted by the coaches, right? So Andy Reid can script these amazing starts for Patrick Mahomes against any other team except for Bill Belichick's genius. And that just, I mean, it speaks to Bill Belichick, but also speaks to, I think that stat speaks to how great Andy Reid is as well, okay. except he's not quite Bill Belichick. Well, that's, that's why I thought that line's wild. You're right. That's a ton of points, especially when you consider the Chiefs are coming off a low game. Like that kind of line is one of the highest you'll see all year in the NFL. And you would think that the Chiefs right. had the Ravens game. the week. So the, the problem for me is I don't like the Raiders as much as you do in that one, right? Yeah. Uh, it looks like Ruggs practiced today. So I, I, we talked about the last time I was on that that's, uh, field stretching ability is key for their offense and obviously Jacobs has had his his ups week one and obviously his downs for the rest of the season the Chiefs are a defense that's susceptible to the run so he can get back on track if Chris but Jones is not playing again if missed. Chris Jones is not playing but I just I like that line with an offense that I believe in I'm not on the Raiders train this week but okay. you know it's a lock so I'm fine with it well, let's there's keep an, an eye on that one too there's another huge line uh and you're right it's going to be one of the biggest lines of the year our highest lines of the year. Uh, the Bengals are uh, – sorry, the Ravens are favored by 13 over Cincinnati. Uh, that, that's, that's a substantial line, too. I, my gut is saying to take the, take the Bengals there as well. What do you think? So you're saying take the team with the better quarterback, right? Conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that. Well, although Lamar Jackson did miss practice today, so I don't know. And so did – well, Mixon also popped up in the injury report. So we got some late-week injury flares down in Cincinnati and Baltimore. Yeah, I think Joe Burrow is going to not allow the Ravens to win by 13 or more. Uh, I would take the Bengals there. But, okay, like we can go through every game. We could talk all day, of course. But we do have to cut this off at some point. And I guess that point will have to be now. I, I really wanted to uh, – if we had time today, I wanted to get your take on penalizing players for drops in PPR leagues if they get a point for reception – and that's a concept that I just thought of this week. And I ended up formulating this massive argument for in my head. But I think we're going to save that for next time. And now I've kind of tipped you off on it. So think about where you would side on that and, and kind of why or why not to penalize players for drops, just like minus one. In, well, in, you're talking to a Calvin Ridley owner, so you would have put me negative two in the hole last week. But I hear yeah. you. Let's think about it. We'll discuss. Yeah, we'll discuss it. Thanks for coming on today, Wade. It's been awesome as usual. And good luck to your Titans. I hope the NFL doesn't come too strongly on them to where they're forfeiting, uh, forcing them to forfeit. Nick, thanks as always for having me. Thanks to the listeners. And, yeah, we'll see if the one tweet I referenced, if it's, if it's coming for the Titans and we see the damning evidence, uh, that means penalties are justified. I hope not, but we'll see. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, Wade. See ya. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button and give a positive rating or review. Really would appreciate that, and I really appreciate having Wade Longmire on once again. He is such a great guest. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening today. 